Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Fox Racing Canada. Go to the website, memorize the catalog, then head on over to your local dealer and get yourself outfitted from head to toe, whether it's protective or looking good off the track. Fox Racing Canada has what you need in all the styles and all the colors, and you know you're going to be looking good, and you know you're going to be protected with Fox Racing Canada. Also with us is Phoenix Handlebars. Big MX-15 saves you 15% on every single purchase you make through phoenixhandlebars.com. Go check them out. They have incredible customer service, and they're going to take care of you for your next set of handlebars. Speaking of great customer service, have you heard of Guts Racing? Honestly, you'll be hard-pressed to find a company that puts as much love and care into every single transaction they make than Guts Racing. They do a fantastic job, whether it's a seat base, seat foam, or a complete seat with that amazing seat cover. You're going to be happy with what you get from Guts Racing. Finally, with us on, we also have WUSA all things wheels, whether you're building up a brand new set of wheels for your race bike, taking off your stock hubs to rebuild a set of wheels to breathe some extra life into your current bike, you want to get some extra years out of that thing, or maybe you've got a vintage build that needs a fresh set of wheels. WUSA has the tools and the know-how and the equipment to make sure that you are properly fitted with the most longest lasting, strongest wheels in all of America. So go check them out. And if you mention Big MX Radio while ordering, you're going to save some money on top of that as well. So thanks again for W to hook that up. And also, we're working on getting you guys not only a discount code for this, but we're going to be working with X-Brand Goggles, Rich Taylor, fantastic guy, great guy, and uh, hopefully we can land a a sponsorship with him in the new year. So uh, X-Brand Goggles, unbelievable. In fact, they were the first uh, sponsor that Big MX Radio ever had back in 2014. So let's get on with this podcast, guys. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. And we're going to do an interview here with Jet Reynolds, fantastic kid. Uh, He's been a little quiet lately, so I wanted to give him a platform to be able to chat. And uh, yeah, I was really happy with how this came out. So hopefully you guys enjoy it as well. Support the sponsors. And as always, thanks for listening. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. And with us on the line, a very special guest welcoming him to the show for the very first time. But I have a feeling he's going to have to be a repeat offender because this kid is way too much fun to talk to. Goes by the name of Jet Reynolds. Jet, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Hey, not doing too bad, man. Thanks for making time for the Big MX Radio podcast. This will be airing December 17th. We're closing in. On not only Christmas, but Anaheim 1, 2023, my friend. Uh, really excited about the new year. I, I got a lot of direct messages hoping that uh, someone would grab an interview with a guy like yourself. And uh, so that I, I had to hit you in the DMs to get into your comments on Instagram. And here you are. Yep, yep. I saw the, saw the message and, you know, saw someone want to reach out. And, you know, I feel like... Right now would be actually a really good time to to do such a thing and kind of get some words out there and get some things cleared in the air. You know, I hear a lot of people, a lot of people have been hitting me up about something, so why not just uh, give it a go on a, a podcast? 
Absolutely. And what better way to do it than on the Big MX Radio podcast? Appreciate you coming on the show, man. I really, really do. And yeah, you're totally right. Uh, you've kind of been on uh, on the down low. Obviously, I, I was on hand for uh, the arm injury that you sustained in Minneapolis. Uh, feels like forever ago now. It's about ten, uh, like nine or ten months ago at this point. Uh, sidelined you for what would have been uh, your rookie year. Um, talk to us a little bit about uh, that injury as well as uh, sort of the the comeback story that you've been on ever since. Yeah. So. Um, Minneapolis, um, earlier this year, back in February, um, kind of came into it, um, you know, just a super excited and, and, uh, it's been such a, such a road to get there. And, uh, I was finally there, um, you know, what I've dreamed my whole life racing, um, motocross, um, getting onto the big stage and racing supercross and ended up, uh, you know, it was just super tough deal. I showed up there and, um, you know, I was, it was press day and was working at the track and I saw this, this little rhythm and someone, someone mentioned like, Oh, you could do it. And, uh, so we was on the ground, first lap, roll around second lap. I checked it out a little bit. Then goes third lap. Um, I just tried to hop over, um, this three and the backside of it was super steep and it was into a five and I just kind of hesitated on doing it and, uh, just kind of clipped my rear wheel on the three and on the backside of the three was just literally just a wall. It was straight up and down. There was no transition and I went straight into that five and just kind of I don't, I really, really don't know why I tried to do it so early because no one even attempted doing it, but kind of swam to the face of the five and maybe at that time I, I broke my hand just by the, the force swam into it and it all happened so fast. Um, you know, I was still holding onto the bike in midair and all I could think about was not breaking my feet and I was just planning on where my feet were going to be placed whenever I hit the ground. And, um, you know, I knew right away, as soon as I hit the ground, I got up and my hand was just tingly, numb. And, uh, I went to go like, just shake it off, you know, just like, Oh, it's all right. Went to go pick up my bike. And that's when I knew, um, I couldn't pick up my motorcycle. And from there forward, it was just, just uh I was super bummed at the moment to you know get her on the third lap press day or whatever it was and uh I kind of just knew right away that the the season opener was kind of out of reach but um you know didn't know at the time that my whole year would be ruined from that no kidding. And honestly, uh, this has been the, the the most recent injury of a string of injuries that has basically lasted like your whole time on big bikes to this date. Like you're 18 years old. The last time we saw you at kind of full pace and um, and, and a clean bill of health, uh, you're around the age of 14 or 15 years old. Um, like honestly, being on hand in that moment, I 
my heart just sunk for you. It was it was really hard to watch. And then on top of that, like you went straight to, uh, to the mobile medical unit. They had you on this uh, uh, golf cart, and they resume practice. There's like guys are ripping around, and I think a couple of photographers kind of came over to sort of unfortunately take a picture of you in one of your lowest moments. Like what's going through your mind when like guys come over and kind of snap that shot? Um, it's their job. They're, they're there to, to capture the story. Unfortunately, uh, your part of that story was, uh, another injury, but what's, what's going through your mind in that moment? Aside from, I, I hate, mean, photog- I I hate would... photographers. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I don't really have, um, hate towards photographers or anything, but at that moment I was literally head down, didn't, even though I didn't care what anything else was going on. Um, I just knew that I was hurt and I was hurt pretty bad and I didn't notice anyone, you know, trying to run up and take photos or whatever. And, you know, that is their job. That's what they're supposed to do. And they post it on social media. That's just how things go. Um, no hate to anyone. But through that moment, I uh, I knew I was hurt, and I knew, you know, I wasn't. I was for sure not racing on Saturday night in that moment, and uh, ended up going to the hospital, um, just like that. My hand was completely numb; I couldn't feel anything, and I was in there for about I don't know three, four hours, and I kept saying like, "Hey, like," and uh, you know, I'm in pretty decent pain and I've had a few injuries sadly to kind of to kind of know like where I'm at type of deal and they they probably thought <laughs> that I was just crazy or whatever but um I, yeah I had a burning sensation in my hand pretty much as if your hand is just freezing cold but yeah it burns so bad and um so they I ended up calling my doctor you know I'm screaming at everyone in the hospital and it's just not a not a a good situation at all i ended up snatching my phone and dialing up one of my doctors in san jose and i get on the phone with them and say hey like this what's going on man like and uh he i said here's the phone to the doctor here and this is all in minneapolis i'm in the minneapolis uh hospital and uh i hand the phone over to the doctor in Minneapolis and uh they he, he gives me back my phone they rush me to emergency surgery um just to find out what's going on why is my hand numb why I can't feel nothing why it burns so bad and uh they ended up um finding the blood clot in my hand and uh I mean that's all I've really been told that's all I really know. Um, and uh, I woke up out of surgery and, you know, just the, the pain level was pretty much to a zero after that point. Um, once they got that blood clot out, just my hand just seemed night and day pain-wise a lot better, obviously. They didn't touch my bones. They didn't try and repair them or nothing. And then um, ended up flying home Sunday morning. Um, was home for a couple of days and 
there's a, you know, everyone kind of pointed fingers to go to this guy in Southern California. Um, you know, they said, uh, oh, he's great. He's a hand specialist, all this stuff. And I was just like, okay, sweet. You know, trusted everyone. And, um, kind of, that's where, it's kind of where I went. Um, I really believed in it at that point. Um, you know, cause I'm surrounded by, surrounded by guys that have been in the sport for a long time and they know what they're talking about. So I kind of just went with the flow with that, ended up going to that guy and man, that guy really, really kind of screwed me up. Um, he, I'll go into detail just a little bit about it. Uh, he was supposed to take, so I had a screw in there before. He was just supposed to take that one out, put a new one in, simple as that. And uh, I mean, not saying it's simple, but that's what he told me he was going to do. And uh, that was the surgery um, that he said he was going to do, right? And uh, I talked to the doctors in San Jose, and um, they said, yeah, take that, take that screw out and just put a new one in, and then ended up for surgery of my wife, um, ended up going in and, uh, supposedly, you know, I didn't find this out till three weeks later, but he ended up taking the old screw halfway out, leaving it like that, and then putting a new screw in and didn't line it up with the right bone. And, uh, he caused a lot of damage to my hand and uh, really, really screwed me up. And uh, anyways, I was, you know, thought I was on the road to recovery. Everything was going to be great. Everything was going to be fine. And um, ended up, I was going to uh, Dr. Nix, this guy. So in California, he's a chiropractor slash physical therapist. I go to him week in, week out, get treated, get worked on. Guy's great. And uh, we were talking, he's like, hey, do you have any x-rays of your hand? And uh, I was like, no, man, they didn't get me nothing. It was the weirdest deal ever. And uh, didn't tell me what they did, nothing. And so he's like, shoot, you want to take an x-ray photo real quick? And he has one in uh, his office. So take an x-ray photo. We both look at it. We both look at each other and uh, just go, shit, dude. This guy, like, whatever he did, he really screwed you up type of deal. And uh, so I ended up calling my doctor right then and there, sent him the x-ray photo. And uh, he goes, dude, you need to get here pronto. So the next day, I literally drive down um, all the way from Southern California to San Jose. Um, It's probably like an eight-hour drive. Ended up getting surgery the next day. They took both the screws out, put a new one in, but what that guy did, he uh, he caused a severe damage to my hand and kind of put a halt on uh, put a halt on my racing uh, career. Um, you know, my guy did what he could. He took both the screws out, put a new one in, but my bone was so stressed out from just being worked on. Um, been opened up three times already within a month. And uh, so he ended up fixing me all up. And, you know, my hand 
um, was just trying to heal up for three or four months and ended up finally getting the, the, the green light to go, to go ride my dirt bike again. And first day out, we showed up to the track and I went to go hop on the bike. And, uh, I think I tried to, to do a lap on the main track and, uh, I just said, sure. Like, you know, I, I can't ride this. I'm gonna ride the vet track today. And, uh, I actually rode Elsinore vet track for my first day back riding. And, uh, man, with tears wanting to come out of my eyes because it hurt so bad. And, you know, I was just like, everyone's kind of just saying like, oh, like, um, you know, it'll get better. Your wrist is sore. And, uh, I was just like, okay, like, yeah, you know, maybe you're right. And, uh, ended up riding for like a month and, uh, man, it just hurt super bad. Ended up getting like a CT scan and, uh, they didn't, they didn't really find you. They didn't find anything on there. And, uh, so I kept riding, kept riding and trying to get ready for the last four nationals. And, uh, there's just, it just came to a point where. I was just like, dude, like I'm over it. Like, I cannot ride like this. I can't, you know, can't perform like this. Terrible. And um, so I got ended up going to get an X-ray, and to come to find out, those two months that I was riding, I don't know if it happened on the first day because it felt like it did. To whenever, I was riding for two months trying to get ready, trying to get back to racing, training every day, riding every day, you know, um, doing everything I could, still going to therapy daily. And um, get an x-ray photo, and sure enough, my hand is completely rebroken. Um, hand rebroke. It's not like I had a big crash or anything. I didn't crash my brains out like I did before. Um, nothing, nothing happened. Just ended up it was just rebroken and the screw ended up uh, coming out and was hidden into another bone, kind of drilling a hole to another bone. And, uh, so it was broken worse than what it originally was at that point. I was riding like that. And, you know, I was kind of amazed with myself how I was even riding like that over the last two months trying to get back to racing. And, uh, I was super devastated on that, whenever I found that out. But also I was kind of relieved because I knew there was something wrong. And then, um, ended up getting another surgery, um, back in September. Um, and, uh, you know, I broke my navicular bone, also known as scaphoid bone in your hand. And, uh, that's a bone that you really don't want to break. Um, it's very hard to heal. It gets very little blood flow in there. And, um, yeah, we're, we're on the, this, we're still on the healing men, you know, still trying to get this thing back to 110%. As of right now, um, just this week's my first week back on the bike. Um, just doing turn track, turn track activities right now. Um, you know, but I'm loving life, you know, just to, just to get back onto the dirt bike. Um, you know, I'm riding one of my personal bikes. I'm riding, uh, a 450 bike. Um, that's that I own. Um, I'm not riding no factory bike or nothing. Um, but I love it. I'm loving life right now. Um, still, still waiting on getting 
cleared to, to fully go out there and ride. Hello. So maybe that uh, counts you out for West Coast Supercross, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe I'm completely out to lunch on that. But um, is it crazy for me to think that I, I when I think of uh, Jet Reynolds, I think of you being a West Coast Supercross guy. Like I, it does not, it, it didn't seem completely out of place for you to start your career in Minneapolis for uh, for the East Coast Series. Um, but like it, it just seems like for for me, like you're a West Coast kid. You born and raised out on the West Coast. Um, Jet Reynolds making his uh, like Supercross debut uh, on the West Coast just 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 sounds right. Anaheim won the the and everything that goes along with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm from uh, I'm from California. I'm from Bakersfield, California. Um, born and raised, and um, you know, I kind of always looked up to riding A1 Supercross. Show up to A1, ride West Two Vidi West Coast Supercross. And, uh, you know, I've actually, I've raced Supercross Futures in the past years. And, you know, I've raced Anaheim. I've raced Glendale. I've raced um, Oakland. So I have, I have raced, you know, a couple or a few um, Supercross stadiums on the West Coast before. So, I mean, I would love to one day, you know, to show up ready to race. A1 Supercross, and that'd be a dream come true for sure. But, um, you know, I was a rookie coming in last year, so it's kind of obvious, you know, to kind of put me back to East Coast, give me some more time um, to get ready. And uh, actually, I got hurt last year, too. In the offseason, I broke a pelvis in, I think, first week of December. So that was just another, another reason why why we're going east coast and um you know maybe maybe uh next year west coast for sure but definitely not this year fair enough fair enough um question for you back in 2018 when they first introduced uh supercross futures were you still on super minis at the time because i think i remember i was taking photos there that day and what stood out to me the most was the sound of the like the, the the team green Kawasaki's. I could be totally wrong, but I'm pretty sure you were still on Super Minis at the time. And they had like knocked down the whoops. They kind of made them like a roller section and you guys were flying. Yeah, so yeah, two thousand eighteen was I believe my first full year on a Super Mini. And in twenty seventeen, you know, I raced 2017 i think i was 13 years old and i raced monster cup on a super mini and that was kind of like really my first big big race um on it and i ended up winning it and uh ended up going 2018 and uh on a super mini full time and yeah i raced there and and uh actually there's actually a, a gopro video of me uh racing 125 um, you know, being some pretty pretty good guys, guys that are three or four years older than me, um, and uh, ended up winning that. So it was, it's actually a really cool video. 
No doubt. And you got to race one of the, like a, a Mitch Payton uh, built KX125. That's like basically the the holy grail of, of 125s. What, what was that like uh, building a bike or riding a bike that um, like it's so iconic and, and like obviously like 125s aren't totally overpowered compared to like a uh, a full on super mini. Heck, you could probably argue that a super mini might even have more punch given the fact that it's a uh a, the smaller frame and a lighter bike altogether but uh like what was jumping on that thing like yeah so i actually never i never ended up racing um my kx 125 um not because i didn't want to but mainly because you know kawasaki does not produce that motorcycle anymore so it made sense for, for their standpoint to kind of, hey, race the bike that we still make and we still sell type of deal. And, uh, yeah, so actually that Anaheim race, I was on a Super Mini racing SS125. But that 125, that Pro Circuit 125, I still have to this day. Um, man, that bike is just, it's just like a showpiece, you know, like Mitch Payton, uh, KX 125 fully tuned out, fully decked out. I mean, that bike is really unbelievable. Um, man, I, I loved riding that thing. I would always mess around on that thing and probably practice on the, on that 125 more than I did my Super Mini. Um, but yeah, I'd say that Super Mini though, man, like Mitch can really, really build a motor. Um, I'd say, yeah, that, that super mini motor probably hit harder, um, coming out of the corner than that 125 did. That 125, the power was more, more on top. Like I say that bike would definitely eat my super mini way around, um, an outdoor track. Um, you know, especially a, a track like Glen Helen, kind of just a fast track, keeping it, keeping that thing high in the RPM. But man, I, that bike is is actually supposed to be raced with straight straight rhythm this year. Um, Nico Izzy was actually supposed to race it. No and, way. Uh, he ended up only. Yeah, yeah, he was supposed to race it. So it it was getting all freshened up for him to go to go race, and uh, he ended up only getting an invite for the 250 class. So uh, he didn't get an invite for the 125 class. So that bike kind of. Still, still in the garage. Still kept on the kind of like a, just like a showpiece type of deal. I think I'll always keep that bike. I remember uh, whenever I first built it, I think some guy offered me like sixteen or seventeen thousand dollars to buy it, and and uh, you know uh, he he already wired the money. Um, he wired the money to like a. I I don't necessarily know. I mean, I was so young at the time. But I remember he wired the money, and I didn't really necessarily know about it. And so my dad was like, you know, loading the bike up in the van. I'm like, hey, what are you doing with it? And he's like, oh, we're, we're selling it. I'm like, heck no, you're not. You know, like, no, I don't want to get rid of this thing. But, I mean, looking back on it, like, I definitely see why, you know, because that, that bike's, you know, I don't know, almost 20 years old. Um, and for that type of money, yeah, kind of silly to pass up, but 
you know, that's just like one of those bikes that I think I'll keep forever. Yeah, dude, preach, man. I, I have my 2004 KX125 that I got brand new, and it's mine. Uh, you'll I would have to fall on some serious hard times uh, in order to uh, to relinquish that thing. Um, I think I'll keep that uh, for as long as, uh, as I'm around, to be completely honest. And, yeah, hold on to that thing. Like, uh, I would love um, – Somewhere down the road, obviously, uh, it wouldn't be a racing scenario probably in the next future. But uh, when the wrist is 100%, the hand's 100%, uh, we get a, a Jet Reynolds 125 edit. Um, that's the type of thing that might just break the internet. Oh, for sure. I've had, uh, I've definitely had a few people um, hit me up. I remember, I think it was motor- Motocross Action, and uh, they hit me up. They wanted to do a video. And uh, I remember I was totally down for it. And uh, I think uh, we had to get permission from Cali to end up doing it. And uh, I want to say, I want to say it got kind of turned down just because, um, you know, like, hey, do a video of me riding the Super Mini because we still sell that bike type of deal. But um, no, for sure, I, I have to do a have to do a video i've never really released an edit or video of me riding that thing just a couple clips maybe but um yeah i think it sounds amazing yeah no i'm, I'm waiting for that uh, i i need to know like now we're on a texting basis i need to know when that thing uh is, is fully ready and ready to rip in fact uh when i'm down there in uh in january from the 31st of december to um to january 9th like I, I would not be mad if uh, I like bring some boots or bring a helmet and just, yeah, I'll, I'll like if maybe the, the bike needs, needs to like get the cobwebs out a little bit, shake the rust out and I'll, I'll take it for a spin for you. No problem. <laughs> yeah. As long as you, as long as you have some, uh, MRXO2 for that baby freaking wetter, wetter rip. There you go, my friend. Well, like, You've actually had the pleasure uh, of riding some really high-strung, top-end, uh, beautiful motorcycles throughout your time since first signing with uh, the Team Green team back in October of 2013, I believe, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and whether it be the the 65, the 85, the Super Mini, and, and then maybe not racing the 125, but certainly getting to ride one. Uh, and then eventually on the four, the the 250F. But before we talk about your like how dominant you were on Super Minis and on 85s, can we talk about the fact that the KX65, for all intents and purposes, like I'm sure it's had like someone from Kawasaki would probably punch me square in the nose for saying this, but the 65 has not basically changed since like bodywork, engine, or anything else in between since it first got released in 2000. I mean, I don't think anyone would have any hard feelings with you saying that because, I mean, it is true. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, I rode that thing, and uh, I actually loved it, believe it or not. Uh Um, I thought that thing sounded so good, which it did. The bike was actually so reliable. I don't think I ever blew one of those things up and I would wring their necks out as fast as they could possibly go. And, uh, I remember, 
actually, I have a little story. Another reason why that bike hasn't changed was because Loretta's one year, um, the, the one of the head guys from Kawasaki and uh, from uh, Japan was there. And uh, Ryan Holiday told me this story. Um, it was the year I remember I went. In the first moto, I remember I crashed like five times. I went like nine one one and won a championship in the other class. I think I went one one one. I only won like five out of six motos that week. And uh, he ended up telling me just like, I don't know, three or four years ago, he's like, we're talking about a 65. And uh, we're talking, I think we're honestly talking about like, uh, yeah, it hasn't changed or nothing. He's like, you're the reason. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm the reason? And he goes, yeah, uh, we were planning on changing it back in like 2014 or whatever whenever you won the, the two Reddit titles and one of the head guys from Japan uh, came over and he saw me pull hole shots and kind of just dominate uh, winning both titles and there's he goes yeah there's no reason to change it look this kid's this kid's winning on it <laughs> so so, so uh, you are to blame for the lack of of progression or uh, updating yes. on on the KX65. As far as that's, I've been told that by by Ryan Holiday, and he's a pretty that's amazing guy. So, yeah, he is. Yep. But <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah, it certainly is. That is uh, that's hilarious, and you know what? I I, I totally believe it though, man. Like that that uh, you were knocking down championships against the the Cobras, um, the the KTM's, everything else in between, doing extremely well on that bike. And uh, yeah, if it, you don't if if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, they were great bikes. In fact, I have a funny story about sixty fives. Is uh, I started race I started riding in. On, in 1999 on a Suzuki DS80. It's kind of like a trail bike, right? And I was smaller. I was about eight or nine. And then, so, and my dad figured like, oh, by the time he's gotten faster, he'll be, still be small and he'll be on a 65. So a year or so after buying the 80, or the, the DS80, he buys a 65, but doesn't show it to me. It's like in a storage facility somewhere. And I was so timid and to be honest, so dog ass slow that I had no business getting on a 65 because I wasn't nearly good enough, um, that by the time I was sort of, like, going fast enough on the D- the Suzuki 80 to, like, like feel like I might need a new bike, uh, I had completely outgrown the 65, and my dad traded both the 65, it still had, like, I'm sure the tits on the tires, and it, never, it literally never saw the lay of day. I didn't even know this until, like, three or four years ago, that my dad traded in my DS80 and my 65 to go buy my first uh, KX85 with me completely not knowing that that 65 ever existed as far as my bike. So I had one, but I never raced it or ridden it. (laughs) I was that slow. Yeah, that is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I remember, um, I think I was nine nine years old whenever I first got with Callie and ended up riding 65s. And I remember Callie would give like 12, 13 motorcycles or whatever to me a year. And, 
when I was nine years old, I think we got like 1165s or something. And then my dad wanted to have, or have me have a, a Cowie 85. So at nine, nine years old, I remember whenever I first got my, my shipment of bikes, um, that first day, first day, um, I rode a, a Cowie 85 and Cowie 65 and I'm nine years old and that thing just felt like pretty much like a 450 to me nowadays. Um, that thing seemed so fast and, you know, I'm 60 pounds, 70 pounds or something. That thing just felt crazy. No kidding. Yeah, you're you're way way too uh, way too small for it at the time. It actually always blows my mind when I think of really young kids like your like that age, like eight, nine, ten years old. That uh, they're like they're in they have no business riding a bike uh, like riding an eighty or a super mini like that. But you guys can still make it happen because uh, you have just so much bike skill and you spend so much time on the bike. Like uh, like you don't need starting blocks because to give you better leverage to get starts, you need starting blocks because you straight up can't reach the ground. Um, but you still go faster yeah. than, than, than like, honestly, you, like I don't, you, you've probably been faster than me on a dirt bike since you were nine years old. Uh, so that, that kind of makes me upset, but, um, you've been racing for a long period of time and you're almost the exact same age as another kid from, I would, I wouldn't, I guess you're sort of from Southern California, but not really Southern, Southern California. You're like central California. How many times have you, where, where would you say? I'd say I'm, I'm from central California. Yeah. You're central California. Uh, but what about a kid who's from Northern California that you've been banging fibulas, fibulas with since the very beginning? I'd imagine, uh, and it's funny because you guys have not only like battled uh, with what energy drinks you're on, what bikes you ride. Um, you're both exactly the same, basically Max the same Volan. age. Talon Voland or uh, uh, Max Voland, tell me about this kid. Like, tell me about battling this kid and why you decided to just blow his doors off at this one particular, I think that's a, that's a, either a, I think that, is that, um, Monster Cup or which one was it? But either way, like you, you got to have some battles with this kid. Actually, I would love to have both of you guys on the line sometime if you're in, unless you guys are like sworn enemies, but I think you guys would have some crazy stories. Yeah. I mean, uh, I have really no hard feelings towards anyone. I mean, I don't know if I could say the same for him. Maybe, maybe he has more heart feelings towards me. I believe he does, but um, yeah. So <laughs> me and Max, you know, he he's always he was always like a like a a year older than me. So, um, but he would end up always riding out every class to like the max he could. Yeah. Um, and then I would always, I would always move up to a class as early as I could and get out early as I could and jump to another class as early as I could. But um, yeah, me and Max, you know, uh, we ended up. He never raced me at Monster Cup. Um, he ended up racing like the next year or something. Um, but yeah, like we we've had so many battles. Like I remember on since like. Even 50, uh, I've raced that kid so many damn times. And uh, there's probably been more hard feelings towards me than I do have him. 
um, you know, where I kind of, as a younger rider, it's either I kind of crashed or I always found a way to, to beat people. And uh, mentally, I, I, I had, you know, I was pissed off behind the gate. Like, I wanted to, like, just, like, pretty much just destroy destroy everyone and you know i think you know other kids at that age would kind of just go a little bit more happy-go-lucky type deal and you know and i'm not saying that he's that way but i always kind of found an edge on him i i feel like um and uh i feel like he he for sure did, didn't like it and uh you know we i remember one time at oak hill they don't have this national anymore this track called oak hill it's in texas one that yep. used to be on the spring national on the amateur circuit and uh i remember um man we were battling back and forth and it's on a sandy track and i'm on a cali 65 and a ktm at the time or oh, i guess still does um you know it's definitely more developed than the, the cali 65 and we're on a sand track so it's super hard for me to even keep up and uh, I remember I was in the lead and uh, coming to a corner and he freaking slams me and like full on T-bone passes me. And in the next corner, I held it wide open straight into him. And this is a 65. I mean, I'm nine or 10 years old. And, and uh, you know, that's just the, the memories I, I have uh, of that or will probably always last forever. But, um, yeah, it's always been a battle with him and, you know, Supercross features. Uh, like, we've raced each other on Super Minis. We've raced each other on every bike. Besides, actually, I've never raced one on 250. Um, you know, my first year amateur on 250, I was 250 B class, and he was still in the 125 class. And then he ended up going, like, 125 to, like, just straight-up pro Supercross. He didn't even, like, go to eight he raced like one a class race at many years i wasn't even there yeah and then went straight to supercross but i mean yeah we we banged bars um definitely more than a handful of times we've we've raced um you know rubbins racing um that's for sure um again no hard feelings towards him and um i don't know if i could say the same from for his standpoint i mean i i hope i could but i'm not going to um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of battles over my amateur career. Um, definitely that will still stick around to me. Well, certainly. And yeah, like, it, it's it tight racing. And like, like they talked about this in the, uh, um, outdoors a bunch of the fact that guys like Barsha and Eli and Malcolm and Anderson have, li- they were literally in the same class at Loretta's like, 25 years ago like they've been doing that like I, I couldn't even imagine that like i myself like i race different guys on w- different weekends all the time we have little battles and stuff like that but i can't imagine literally knowing someone from the single digits to the end of your pro career and like literally just having this guy sweating you again it would just be like i'm sure for, especially for <laughs> yeah. guys like uh eli and anderson like looking at justin barsha being like really Still, I like this. Like my entire story has this guy as the antagonist. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like a, it's actually pretty cool, you know, 
to to hear those stories too because I I've read interviews and podcasts yeah. and um you know I've definitely heard it all and it is pretty it is pretty crazy you know um to to hear those things and you know as an amateur um a couple of kids kind of fizzled out a little bit um you know just kind of aren't racing anymore stuff like that but there definitely is still uh, that definitely the top guys that you know battled neck and neck for are uh, still racing this day and it doesn't seem like they're going away anytime soon so that's that's super cool but i mean as another standpoint too as an amateur as a especially a young rider um man it was i didn't really come from much you know my family didn't have a lot of money so it's kind of just like everything we took even though we had factory support and whatnot you know most people think like oh things have been handed to me from a little age well um kind of just showed up from the beginning won races and continued to rent win races and that's why i'm in the situation i am now but as another thing i knew as a kid that if i didn't win we didn't get the the bonus money or whatever it was gonna be uh, a tough couple months or whatever and you know i knew as a little kid we didn't have much and you know sweeping back of my mom's suburban and stuff the first year we went racing to nationals and and uh stuff so i mean it's it's super cool you know racing has definitely rewarded me in great ways and it's also been uh super tough for sure, there's good and bad with with every success story, and and I, I though you haven't enjoyed uh, a lot of success on the pro level, I still think it's a successful story to date, and there's still a lot yet to be told. Like looking back on the amateur days of you being like sort of like the big man on campus, rolling into um, into like Loretta's or some of the other spring nationals and stuff like that. Like, and maybe this is something like, I don't know if you've ever chatted with a guy like Adam Cincerillo about it, but like, there's a lot of similarities as far as like his, his rise throughout the 65, 85 super mini, and then on two two fifty Fs as yours. Um, do you talk to him about that at all? Or do, like, what do you recall about basically like rolling into Loretta's with basically everyone, maybe not like turning and staring, but like, you know, all eyes are on you at that point. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what, growing up to any other national besides Loretta's, I kind of knew I was the shit. I knew I was the one to beat. I knew I could beat all these guys pretty much. I was so confident in that stage. But whenever we showed up to Loretta's, I mean, I remember, I mean, I've, I never had a problem there, but I would always show up definitely a little bit more nervous than, uh, than other times just because there's a lot on the stake and and uh i mean i performed really well under pressure i guess um but yeah adam i guess i guess you could say you know adam and i have had a similar career um you know through our amateur ranks and he was one of the winningest mini bike riders of all time you know i would i wouldn't like to say it without it being facts or whatever but i believe um i believe i'm i'm one of one up there too um i've uh you know well just a little talk you know i've talked to adam uh, a few times but 
we we really don't really try and uh, you know kind of bring up bring up uh, injuries and stuff, you know. Um, but we we have talked a little bit, and uh, you know, I believe if I if I were to call him up and say, hey, like uh, you know, I'm kind of going through this, and like I know you went through this type of stuff, so like, what do you do? I I think for sure that he would um. He would definitely open up to me about some things, and uh, we'd we definitely have a a talk. Yeah, certainly, and and like I like not even specifically about the the injury side of things, but just like the like there's there's pressure and there's also excitement around rolling in and, and just knowing like you're the guy, and and like obviously like there's pressure to produce because when you are the guy and you don't produce, then everyone's like honestly this is even going back to uh, James Stewart and his like most like predominant seasons is that like he would say that it's it's not as much like that he would let himself down is that he'd let down everyone around him is that people would be like, Hey man, what's going on? Like whenever he wouldn't race, like win races. And the reality it, is that it's great. Yeah. Like n- nobody goes out there and just wins all the time. Like even some of the, the best in the sport period have, have down weekends. And, and that's a lot of pressure to roll into, especially for, uh, for a young guy, like you, whether it's re- you're racing super minis, two fifty Fs or everything else in between. Yeah, I mean, it really is when all eyes are on you, and uh, you you really don't you have you can win every race, and uh, you know you have one bad race or something, kind of everyone just goes, oh, what what happened to him? Type of deal, and uh, I mean, it sucks. That's how the sport really is. Yeah, I guess you're only good as your last race is what what people that a lot of people like to say um and uh it's just weird how it kind of works out i mean i i feel what you just said about james is i remember i would feel that too where even like uh even like you know like my family and stuff they'd be like hey are you okay and stuff <laughs> and i'm just like yeah like geez like what like stop winning races <laughs> and, is hard uh, guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, but my dad was always super, super reasonable. My dad was really, really low-key. Um, he's not like one of those crazy 50 dads where 99.9% of them are. Um, you know, because my dad raced with my brother before, and my dad actually raced a couple races professionally as well. Okay. And so I think my dad, my dad was really hard on my brother, and I think my dad tried to be hard on me at first, and... Uh, I I think I didn't really put up with his bullshit, and he kind of, he kind of, he kind of learned from it because I think uh, I quit riding for a little bit because uh, you know I try to get that fifty dad crazy type, and um, oh we're selling the bikes, and I was like okay sell them, and I I quit on him. Call this bluff. Um, All right, sell them. Yeah. So yeah, no, literally that's what I did. We are on our way home from a track, and I remember I wasn't doing this jump on a 50, and, uh, you know, my dad's only my dad's only got 50 dad fever only a couple of times in my whole entire life. But, um, yeah, so I remember I wasn't doing this jump, and uh, Ryder DeFrancisco, you know, he literally lives five minutes away from my house, and we'd always grow up riding together, and there's a handful of kids um, that are still racing today that always grew up, 
riding um, together. Um, and uh, I remember, I think I was like the only one not hitting this double. And uh, it was weird. It's not that I wasn't a jumper back in the day because I would always, I would always normally jump stuff first. And uh, I wasn't jumping this jump one day. And uh, we, my dad loaded up my bike and, you know, said, oh, we're done. Like, we're selling the bikes. And I remember going, okay, like, sell them. Like, and uh, I ended up quitting for, like, two months or something. And uh, after that, I think I came back to ride and he didn't sell the bikes. He didn't do nothing. And uh, after that, you know, I think he kind of he kind of learned, especially because my brother and stuff, too. And he kind of knew I was different and I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to put up with nothing type of deal. And, um, yeah, he's, he's been super reasonable since. Um, but that always a low-key guy. Never, not like most amateur families, um, I'd say we bore. We were never drama starters. We would never say, oh, this guy has better stuff, even though we're on the same team. And, hey, maybe this guy does have better stuff. But we would never, we would never um, kind of bitch and moan, really. Yeah, well, it, it certainly has paid off as you're able to uh, to rise to the position you're at now. Uh, factory like supported rider on Mitch Payton's Monster Pro Circuit Kawasaki. Like that's that's a lot of kids uh, dream riding, including this kid right here, 34 years young. But at one point, I was dressed head to toe in the latest and greatest <laughs> from Thor, and and thought and like, I literally I'll send you a picture on my phone right now. Like I. I like I would roll up to practice, and kids would be like giving me shit because I'm looking like, oh look, it's Ryan Villapoto. Uh but that like that's what that's what I thought was the coolest thing, man. I like it was like the it was the aspirational no, it, ride to be on, and and that's where you're at now. It's kind of cool. No, it for sure, for sure it is for sure was too. Um, I remember as a kid, you know, I used to have the the great outdoors, the destroyers. I mean, I. I had played this bar to bar supercross, the destroy like the all the great outdoor movies and I'm gonna watch and, that. And uh, I was playing over and over and over on the D V D player as you know, four or five years old and younger. And uh man, Ricky Carmichael was, was my was my idol as a as a kid. Um and uh Brian Villapoto was another one of them. And uh, it was always been, like, the dream um, to ride for, like, a pro circuit. Like, thinking back, like, there's no way in hell that, you know, my my dad or maybe, like, myself and kind of everyone um, would ever kind of think, like, uh, going to be riding for them one day. Like, that's just, like, so crazy, like that'd just be unbelievable if someone said like oh yeah like you're, you'll ride for him one day like like no that's that's kind of crazy but they're definitely definitely back in the day like they were uh just you know everyone wanted to bleed green for sure and uh it's crazy to believe that i am actually um making a dream come true reality Straight up. And yeah, you certainly are, man. And like, like the position you're in right now, like you're 18 years old. I think uh, Villapoto turned pro in the 06 season. So he would have been 18 that year. Does it put even more into perspective how crazy of a feat that is that he came out 
2006 and just wins the outdoor title? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, he's one of the greats for the reason, and you know, I wish every I think every kid that turns pro wish it could turn out like that, and I for sure feel like I have the ability to, and definitely have the skills, and I do have the work ethic, but injuries have, you know, kind of um, downside in my career, um, for sure, kind of put everything on pause here and there at times and definitely the past couple of years definitely kind of um put my racing career to a halt um you know things haven't gone as what i've wanted to go so far but you know i'm not gonna let it keep me down even though you know uh i'll think about it for few days or a week or something and be like is this really what I want to do and then you know I make up my mind and um you know I'm back to it this is what I really love to do and I'm back on the bike right now um I'm just enjoying it so much um still still not fully fully back I'm still uh just riding turn track and stuff but um I'm just loving it right now just getting my feet feet wet I've been off the motorcycle for a long time so I'm um, just enjoying it. Fair enough. Fair enough. So um, just kind of getting back to uh, talking about like the years to come, obviously you're a guy who's got a lot of skill and a lot of potential to do a lot of great things within the sport. Uh, and I, I fully believe that you'll, you'll build back to that. Uh, one of the things that I talked about on uh, a recent post that I had was, was national numbers and, and career numbers is um, like, believe it or not in the next couple of years, someone else is going to be running number 22 uh, I personally, when Blake Baggett started wearing number four, kind of had one eyebrow raised. Like, obviously, to me, that's Carmichael and Carmichael only, especially when you knock down two perfect seasons. I think you get to keep your number forever. But motocross is not that kind of sport. <laughs> um, like, if you had, like, if, like, tomorrow you ended up top 10 in points or win a, win a national championship or a 250 Supercross championship, you get to pick a permanent number. Are we going back to 79? Are we picking up something completely different? Like, obviously, you're a ways off from that right now, but what are your thoughts? 79. 79. 79 hella fine. 79 hella fine. Um, yeah. I mean, that's just that's my number. Um, yeah. I mean, I was, ho- I was hoping to be running out for 23 after, after um, you know, this year, after this year, but... Thing I ended up not even racing the race, so still stuck with one, two, four. Yeah, like I, I, I don't want to pick on you a little bit, man, but uh, we seeing the uh, the one ninety nine switch to uh, he's got the seventy five on your bike. Like I, I can't imagine you're not just even just a little bit peanut butter and jelly that you're still rocking the three digit number. Uh, I mean honestly, I don't, I don't really care. Um, you know, definitely. He would if he would, if Ryder would have went seventy nine, then I would have for sure called him and go, "Hey, bro, what the <laughs> fuck?" <laughs> but um, um, you know, Ryder, I've I've known him since I've been four years old, and we've always rode together and we've always hung out together. Um, I'm not really too close with him anymore, um, just because I really haven't been up around the tracks or nothing. But um, yeah, I mean whatever you know 
I'm still stuck at one two four. It's not like it's not like I did races and just wasn't eligible to even jump down or nothing. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so I mean, I'm, I'm 18 years old still. You know, my career really hasn't even begun. I haven't even raced a pro race, and sad to say, I haven't raced in almost August of 2021 at Redis. Um, so it's been a while. It really has been. Um, definitely has been a struggle bus, um, for sure. Um, I keep saying I'm a lot, but that's okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So I'm a bit rusty with the interviews and whatnot. And, it's uh, all good, my friend. If you really want me to go in, I like, I, this is actually so funny. When I first started this podcast, I hated all the uz, ums and ahs that I would literally go in and snip them all out. Like I would, and it, I'm sure listening to it back sounded really odd. Cause like there was none. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I totally get you, man. It, like, uh, um, you're not, you're not doing interviews every other day, nor should you have to. Um, uh, but last quite last couple of questions I had for you is, um, you, you reminded me of something that there's a local kid who's from maybe two hours, uh, West of where I live is a kid who used to come down, uh, and I think maybe he used to ride with uh, Ryder a little bit more than you, but do you recall having uh, Ryder McNabb come down to Bakersfield and do some riding? Ryder McNabb, of course, yeah. He would come and live in Bakersfield. Um, we would spend half the year whenever conditions were, were really good here. Um, you know, I know Ryder well. I know the father well. I know the whole family pretty well. Um, yeah, Ryder McNabb is actually super, super good kid. Um, I haven't really talked to him in a couple of years, if I'm being honest. But um, yeah, that their whole family is super nice. Um, we would always ride together during winter. He would come here every every year during winter, and he did that for probably three years. And then he went um, super, or not super cross, but he went pro at like 14 in Canada. So that was pretty crazy. Kind of just out of nowhere, it seemed like. And he ended up yeah. winning that the Canadian championship last year. It was good for him. Crazy. It certainly is crazy. Like, like yeah, like you're in Canada, you can turn pro at 14. Um, and actually they have a rule because they, the, they don't have a lot of numbers in the 250F class that you can race – as a pro, like the, technically the 250 class is a pro-am division where you can stay amateur and race it. Um, so like you basically what we call the B class or the, the intermediate class is what guys that run the yellow plates. Uh, he raced that, I believe, in 2020. First year pro was last year at 15 years old. And uh, yeah, he knocked down a championship this last year, stayed consistent, uh, even battled a shoulder injury and, and, and finished off that title. And uh, yeah, sounds like he's going to be going to uh, uh, Canadian factory KTM for, for this year coming up. And, and uh, yeah, things are looking up for, uh, for the young man. Yeah. Like I said, I haven't talked to him in a couple of years, but, uh, yeah, we always rode together. Um, he would stay, he'd either stay, um, in his motor home behind a rider's house, or they would just like, um, stay in a trailer park in their RV with the whole fam and, you know, towing the, the moto van behind them. And we would, we would ride 
and the reason they did that too is because I feel they they wanted to surround themselves with with the kind of the top riders at the time, which were me and you know Ryder, and uh, we had really good riding up in uh, up in Bakersfield, up around that area. Um, I believe we have one of the best riding spots. I mean, there's not really a whole much in Bakersfield. Um, I mean, if you ride dirt bikes, it's definitely one of the, one of the best places, in my opinion. If I'm being honest. What about a guy like uh, Styles Robertson, who's who's from that area as well? Uh, I asked him in a press conference uh, about six months ago, maybe eight months ago, about why he seems to do so well at Daytona after being uh, from Bakersfield. He didn't have a straight; he couldn't give me a straight answer. It actually made him laugh. Um, like, what, what's your best Styles Robertson story? I mean, there's a handful. Um, yeah, so. There's stories, I mean, you know, Styles, his dad, while he's been known to be a hothead in the amateur days, um, that's for sure. And, you know, we were all super close growing up, and we would all ride together, Styles, Ryder, me, a couple other uh, kids from Bakersfield. And uh, it seemed like whenever I was getting fat, because Styles is always two or three years older than me. And uh, whenever I started getting closer to his speed, when I was like on a 50 and he was like on a 65 or he was on a, or I was on a 65, he was on 85 or whatever. And I would run like same speed or something. And then uh, I remember one day uh, we were at this track in Tulare's about an hour from Bakersfield. And uh, I remember it was, I just had my first injury. I was like 11, 12 years old. I broke my wrist. I came back. It was my first day back riding. And uh, Dials was on a super mini. I was on an 85, and we are out there. And uh, first day back, and Styles comes in to – we're just riding practice. Comes in to T-bone me. And uh, I'm just, like, riding, just riding, comes in to T-bone me. And I pull off the track, and I, I go up to my brother. And I'm like, you see that? Like, what the fuck? What the fuck is wrong with him? <laughs> and uh, and uh, so he's like, yeah, fucking go T-bone him back and whatever. So I literally sit on the side of the track, and uh, I freaking T-boned him. And then he pulls off the track, all crying. Oh, what'd you do that for? And whatever. And I'm like, the fuck are you talking about, dude? Like, what the hell is your problem, dude? Like, I'm not even trying to ride with you. I'm just doing my own thing. You come up behind me and T-bone me. And uh, so my my dad gets involved, and uh, he goes up to Lyle and go, hey, what what the hell is going on, dude? And uh, anyway. So Lyle starts like taking off all his clothes and shit and wanting to fight my dad. And my dad's like, dude, like what the hell is your problem? And uh, Lyle was like, all right, let's have the fucking kids fight. Let's have, let's have Jet and Styles fight. And, uh, and, and uh, my dad's like, dude, you're fucking mental, dude. And, like just crazy. And um, that's probably one of the 
I guess, not the best stories, but I really have. Certainly the most intense. Never really. Yeah, certainly the most intense. Um, you know, I've never really had a good memory with him. I don't really, I don't have a problem with him at all. I don't have a problem with hardly no one. But there's definitely one story, um, you know, as as we were little, where things got heated for a minute. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of seemed like, it kind of seemed like whenever me and Ryder were getting faster, like they were, they were a little bit scared that we were, the only reason why we were getting faster is because we were riding with Styles, and so they wouldn't ride with us. They would go to SoCal and, you know, say, oh, we're going to go here and then end up not going there, ride a different track and whatnot. And uh, it's kind of it kind of sucks to say that to, like, why couldn't we all just be good and be good friends and just ride all the time together? But you know, um, things just kind of got off track with that. Um, you know, it, it happens all the time too with people, but it, it sucks that happens because I mean we only make each other ride and like riding together we only get better you know we're all pushing it we're all intense everyone put their feelings to the side type of deal i wish i wish everyone could do that and uh we all we're all just kids and just ride dirt bikes together and make each other faster and better certainly and then that that's what it's all about and i've always said that the the fastest way to get fast is to ride with uh the fastest guys around uh you see that at the local level you see it at the pro level uh, what about with the pro circuit team? Like, obviously, all all five or all six of you are extremely fast. Um, at what point does seeing all these guys get like going fast around you go from being like sort of like a yeah, like we're we're all ripping, we're dropping our lap times, this is exciting to like man, like like I got to go that fast, like <laughs> like that, that's got to be daunting sometimes as well. Yeah, like I'm that way, like. If you're faster than me, if you're slower than me, whatever, like, I still want to, would, I still would like to ride with you. And, you know, it, it, it is tough on, you know, some guys mentally or like, damn, like, you know, he's faster than me, like, or he's just about to be faster than me. And if I ride with him, he's just going to get as good as me and if not better. But with the pro circuit team, so like, it's, like we all we all ride the same tracks every day. It's not like one guy goes here, one guy goes there. Um, but we we do have different trainers. Uh, like Seth Haymaker, he's with Tedesco, and Ryder was too. And then he ended up just going to Villapoto just recently. And then Cameron, um, and Joe have the same trainer as a uh, Nick Way. And then I have Brock Tickle. So, but we, we all kind of work in. Like, so I remember last year, like, I would end up doing motos with um, Seth a little bit last year. You know, some days we'd work it in. And it's not like that we're, we're all riding the same track and whatnot, but sometimes we don't all ride together. It would, it would be maybe a little bit nicer too i think uh i think all the boys have been riding uh a little bit more with each other 
which is good. Um, you know, I never have a problem with it. Some guys do it, and I get it. If, if that's not what they want to do, I can. I guess I can understand it from that standpoint. But with me, uh, I'm all for it. There you go. Welcome to competition. But, uh, Jet, this has been awesome, dude. You and I have chatted for well over two hours. Uh, damn near close to two hours now. Uh, first jumping on the phone call. Uh, actually, we're, 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 we're knocking on the door of three hours, actually, because I called you at six o'clock my time. It's almost nine. Um, but this has been such a, this is such a fun time to, to catch up and chit chat and, and go through some stories. Um, I guess my, my last question for you is, um, obviously you want to get the arm right and get the hand right and everything else. Um, but what needs to happen in 2023 for you to uh, to be sitting here in one year's time, uh, knocking the door at Christmas, looking forward to Anaheim 1 2024, and, and looking back at, uh, at, a, at a successful 2023? What needs to happen is I need a race. Um, you know, I've yet to hit a professional race um, right now. I'm continue working with Brock Tickle. I'm continually doing therapy. Like I said before, um, I'm back on the turn track cruising right now. I'm not fully fully released to to go moto down on some jumps. So right now we're turn tracking, getting back getting back together, and for for you know sitting next year at this this time, um, what needs to happen is ultimately um get back to racing put in put in some uh some results and you know not saying first race i'm gonna go to is just i'm gonna i'm looking to set the world on fire as much as i want to um you know it's more more of just get the first race done and build from there and they uh get this hand right get this hand back to 110 percent, and i believe i can do that um, so next year, just, you know, put in some results, put in some races, put, put some, uh, put some numbers up on the board. Yeah. Some results gets, uh, get some, uh, have all that hard work pay off my friend. Well, uh, like I said, I really appreciate you coming on the big, big MX radio podcast. I think we might have to do one of these in person when I come down to SoCal in early January. Uh, unless you haven't enjoyed this whatsoever. He just doesn't, you don't have to like reply to my emails (laughs) or text. That'd be fine. Uh, but this was fun, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on, you know, just kind of get a word out there. You know, I thought this would be a good time to do it just because I've been getting back to ride and kind of let everyone know where, I, where I'm kind of at right now. Awesome, man. I'm glad you were able to update people, and I hope that they got a lot out of this uh, this interview. There's a ton of great things in there, and uh, I, I imagine that there's uh, there's even more uh, that we didn't talk about, so that, that's why we have to come up uh, for a, a part two at some point. But uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. No, I could talk all day long about stuff. Um <laughs> yeah but no i've had a good time talking letting everyone know what's what's going on what's going on with uh me beautiful my friend well do not hang up just yet um but for podcast sake we're gonna cut it off right there there you have it guys my interview with jet reynolds fantastic kid honestly um i talked on the phone with 
jet for damn near three hours last night and uh, couldn't have been more impressed with just uh, all the different things that he's been through and his personal strength, his mental strength. Um, he's certainly been through the ringer. And uh, for him not to be jaded whatsoever by the sport or anything quite like that, he seems to be still be very positive about what he can achieve within the sport and uh, that he's got a super bright future and uh, that his story is not yet written when it comes to um, motocross, supercross, and what have you. So um, thanks for everyone for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you could also do me a huge favor and go to either iTunes or Spotify, whichever you listen to, and uh, give Big MX Radio a rating out of five. You don't have to give us a five-star rating, but if you feel like we've we've earned a five-star rating, I do appreciate that. Um, every little bit helps to uh, put us up at the top of motocross podcasts, of which I think that uh, we're certainly one of them. Um, but yeah, hopefully you guys are listening to this, uh, enjoying them. Uh, I want to extend a Merry Christmas to you and your family. Uh, happy holiday season. Uh, happy New Year. And uh, and stay tuned the rest of this month as we get geared up for uh, Monster Energy Supercross uh, or Super Motocross in general. Because there's a real shift being made there uh, where the Motocross series and the Supercross series in a lot of ways, I, in my opinion, will soon become not two different things. Uh, I think there's a real big push to basically amalgamate those two series, make it one thing, one subscription, one set of announcers, one points thing, uh, point system, which is going to be really odd, honestly, as far as um, how long of a championship that is. Like As of right now, it's a 31-race championship. And that's pretty much unheard of as far as length for any championship in the sport of motocross. Like obviously if you have MXGP that are sometimes well over 20 events, but over 30 events is basically unheard of. Um, But to think that there's a possibility that say someone was injured and nowadays, like say someone got injured and they miss four or five rounds, usually don't see them until outdoors. But now that sort of eliminates that that sort of like mid-season reset um which could either be a good thing or a bad thing because obviously there's there's potential for someone to say well if i can't come back and win the super motocross championship or at least contend for it uh then what what's the point of racing at all um might as well just go get that surgery that i've been meaning to get and then get healthy um but what you also might see is some guys who um guys who would have otherwise stayed out all the way until outdoors, they actually end up coming back and they come back mid supercross and and you have more guys in the mix. Really sort of interesting of how that's sort of unfolding. And uh, you guys can also give me some feedback of what you think is going on with that. Uh, I noticed today actually that uh, super motocross has its own um, Instagram um, account and it's only got about 3000 followers on it. So it's fairly new. It's clearly being ran by uh, either Feld Entertainment or um, Pro Motocross, or at least a, a, a combination of the two, maybe both have access to that. Um, and also, I'd be interested in your guys' thoughts on whether or not you think that uh, the series should be separate. Like, I personally, like, I, I'm, I'm a 34-year-old guy. I don't like change, let's be honest. Um, but I, I like them being separate. Like, for the three months or four months that you have the pointy jump season where you have guys jumping quads and bowl turns and hitting whoops. Like 
not that it gets tired, but like switching gears to going outdoors is, and it's not that it's going to change. And and this actually might off might leave an opportunity for for the little bit of mix and matching uh, of what you saw in the '90s and the '80s, where you'd race a national and then a couple of supercrosses, then maybe two nationals, and then a supercross. Um, although I but that probably would never happen. The teams would absolutely hate that. Um, but also like whatever sells tickets, right? So it, it, it certainly opens up some op- options for things to happen. Um, but yeah, like I, honestly, I like all summer long, like I, I personally, I enjoy motocross more than supercross because to me it's more relatable. Um, it's something that like I can watch a guy jump a section and maybe I'm not anywhere close to the skill level to be able to do it the way they do. But I do sort of understand the the skill set needed and the, how challenging something is. Like uh, honestly, m- myself, I've never hit the face of a supercross triple. I don't really know what that feels like. I can see the way they're uh, taking off of that jump, and I can tell that I want no business. Uh, I have no business doing it. And I want no part in in jumping that jump. But um, there's there's just a lot more, uh, like things about motocross to me that are a little bit more relatable given the fact that literally like you can race Redbud or Millville or uh Southwick or Glen Helen or Fox Raceway within a couple of weeks or sometimes days of the national um which I always think is a really cool thing about motocross is that it's a very participant based sport um those who watch it typically do it or uh, they, or they did do it, or at some capacity, maybe they still ride, but they don't race anymore. Um, but that's sort of an interesting thing. And I'm sorry I got off a little bit of a tangent here, but uh, sometimes I just like to talk. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed this portion of it. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed Jet Reynolds as well. Great guy, great interview, and uh, great things to come from him. So, uh, like I said, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Uh, there, will, we will have some more uh, podcasts and stuff that come out prior to um, Santa Claus coming down your chimney, but I wanted to just extend a a holiday greeting to everyone who's listening. And like I said, as always, thanks for listening.